It is Wednesday, June 13th, 2023, and welcome to episode 232 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm Jessica Jones, NSI Deputy Executive Director, and today I'm joined by two NSI senior fellows, Lester Munson and Morgan Vigna, our constant folks who help us light the candle here at Fault Lines. Today, we are talking about UNESCO. For those that are unfamiliar, that stands for the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Um, An autonomous, as I learned, body this morning, which contributes to the building of culture, a culture of peace, the eradication of poverty, sustainable development, and intercultural dialogue through education, the sciences, culture, communication, and information. What a mission statement. So on Monday, the organization announced that the U.S. plans to rejoin the body. The U.S. formally withdrew from the organization during the Trump administration, but the split began much earlier. Um, In fact, there had been kind of a decade-long dispute sparked by the organization's move to include Palestine as a member, um, as well as some management problems. As part of the U.S.'s reentry, the U.S. will pay back dues to the tune of more than $600 million. Uh, The return will come to a vote by the 193 member states next month. Though when the announcement was made that the U.S. would return uh, in the UNESCO auditorium, there's a huge, huge amount of applause um, because when the U.S. left, before it left, it was the biggest funder of the agency. Uh, U.S. officials say the decision to return was motivated motivated by concern that China is filling the gap left by Washington in UNESCO policymaking, notably in standard settings for AI and technology education around the world. In fact, Congress uh, included in their federal spending bill last December a waiver to open the door for the Biden White House to rejoin UNESCO with the stated goal to, quote, counter Chinese influence or to promote other national interests of the United States. Okay, so first, guys, um, what do we make of the U.S.'s return to UNESCO? Is this part of a bigger plan by the Biden administration for the U.S. to become more active in the United Nations and other multilateral bodies? First to you, Morgan. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. So the Biden administration, as a many Democrat administration before it, dubiously believes that it is better to be part of an organization and try to affect some sort of change, despite how flawed it might be, than to be on the outside. To be clear, as you noted in your introduction, there are 193 members of UNESCO. The United States has one vote, just one, just like everyone else. And so it's actually very difficult for the United States to move the needle, especially when blocks of countries, and I'm thinking of the G77 in particular, vote together. And this is the same challenge that the United States has in the UN General Assembly and, and frankly, why the UN Security Council is so important for the United States, because we actually have a veto. So, Les, I mean, Morgan points out we have one vote, but also China only gets one vote, and they're putting a lot of energy into becoming bigger, having a bigger presence in, in, in multilateral bodies. What do you make of all of this? Well, I think there's no doubt that uh, UNESCO is a uh, locus for multilateral diplomacy. This is where uh, countries come together and argue about things. Our presence at UNESCO does not mean we endorse all of the outcomes of those conversations and programs and things. I will note back in 2002, the Bush administration rejoined UNESCO uh, because at that time, 20 years ago, we were uh, more aware of the fact that we needed to be involved multilaterally with a lot of countries. I would say that is a similar situation to now 
where uh, the rise of China necessitates that we be involved in a lot of things that maybe aren't exactly in alignment with our values. And we've got some concerns about some of the stuff UNESCO has done, for sure. Uh, and I agree with Morgan on a lot of those particulars. But I think it's, it's better for the United States to be involved and be there and be present and be active in pushing back on China in its uh, efforts to kind of drag the international community towards its authoritarian model. I'd much rather us be involved than not be involved. Yeah, I'd less appreciate your thoughts on engagement here and the value of multilateral diplomacy. Which means respect me less. <laughs> oh, thank you. With respect. Yeah. But look, I mean, this is the Biden administration is undermining longstanding U.S. policy. And I mean, frankly, we have laws in the books in the 90s that actually prohibit the U.S. from funding any organization that recognizes Palestinian membership or, frankly, any entity that does not have the attributes of statehood. Right. So this is a complete reversal of that policy and provides a new loophole, as, as just mentioned, um, Congress provided in, in the omnibus last year. So the fact is, is that we pulled out of UNESCO, not only because we were you know, over six hundred million dollars in, in arrears, but frankly, because UNESCO has a massive history of mismanagement. It has blatant anti-Israeli bias and even anti-Semitism, and it even tries to go and rewrite history. So I think when we actually look at the value of the organizations that we're a member of, I mean, this was a no-brainer that we should have pulled out a long time ago. The, the sins you described, Morgan, also apply to the UN General Assembly, uh, where I think we, we belong there as well. Again, I'm not endorsing the, the outcome of those deliberations or those policies, uh, but it's important that we're there. We need to provide the alternative. That's, that is the job of the United States is to be this, this beacon in the world. We can't be a beacon if we're not there. We should be there. We should be present. We should be involved. China is very Machiavellian about this. And while there's a whole bunch of countries that don't really agree with the way China governs itself, they're happy to go into, um, UNESCO and the UN General Assembly and exploit these opportunities. We need to be heading those off. We need to be exploiting those opportunities ourselves. This is a competition. Let's get in the game. We're a member of the UN General Assembly. as clearly connected to our, to our position on the Security Council. So just making that caveat right there. Well, I would say the Security Council is derivative of the General Assembly. We're actually able to prevent actually a lot of bad stuff from happening in the UN We're Security Council. We're doing a little Council. chicken and an egg right now. No, that's that true. Our one that's true. day conversation. The, yeah, the UN Security Council is better structured for us. There's no doubt, and we would we'd be it would be insane to let go of our position in the UN Security Council because we have the veto, and that's that's the that's a place where a lot of the really big picture issues are 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 tabled and and discussed and, and adjudicated. But to some degree, to a lesser degree, also at the UN General Assembly, also at UNESCO, let's be there, let's engage, let's let's make the argument, let's show people we're not afraid to go up against people we disagree with. Yeah, the administration's been doing that for two years and it's gotten us nowhere so far. So just putting that out so there. So speaking of the Security Council, um, there was an announcement, I'm not sure if it was this week or last, about expanding the Security Council, not veto power, but the Security Council to more developing nations made by the Biden administration. What do you guys think about that? It would completely yeah. water down our vote. And I, yeah, I think I've, any this this conversation comes up repeatedly at the UN about expanding the Security Council. And this is the first time that the a U.S. administration has actually considered it. I, I think it's a terrible idea, and it would just sort of cede influence to to other states that, quite frankly, may not necessarily agree with us all the time. So I don't see how that's in our national interest. 
As long as they don't get the veto, I'm happy to let them on the Security Council. We keep the veto, along with the other countries that have that. Uh, we might want to reconsider letting Russia have one. I'd be in favor of that. Let's trade the Russian veto for, like, Brazilian and Nigerian membership in the UN Security Council. I think that'd be a great deal. So, Jay, we learned that Les is the parent that gives the participant trophies to everybody. He's, he's the nice coach on the soccer team, right? And Morgan's like, no, we must come in Get first. in the game. Get in Tournament. the game, people. Get in the game. Uh, Thank you, guys. That's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for help producing today's episode. Join us again on Friday for another episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debate shaking up America. We're also on YouTube. So if you want to see our soccer participants in action, here they are. Um, And if you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.